Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me to take your stock-related questions this evening are Derek Janssen von Rensberg from Anchor and Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.today or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Graham, uh, Derek, nice to see you both there this evening. Graham, if I may start with you, I think the most exciting thing about the JSE today was the snow that whirled around it at uh, various points throughout the day while we all took videos. Um, uh, for those of us in Johannesburg, and there you are in about a thousand layers because it is that cold. Uh, but as you we were saying before we went on air, the volumes were pitiful, um, you know, really, really sort of disturbingly low stuff. Do you think that's just this time of year or are there some other factors there? No, Juliet, I think there's a lot of anxiety around, um, you know, when uh, I think it's, it's almost our national sport. We get knocked to the canvas and then we get ourselves up again and then we get knocked to the canvas again. And, um, you know, now load shedding seems to be getting better and then people decide to set fire to trucks on the N3 and the N4. You know, it's just, you know, sparking fresh anxiety. So, you know, it, it really is a very difficult time uh, for South Africa. And obviously investors are, are, are particularly in local economy stocks trying to make sense of this, especially against the backdrop of a reserve bank who is determined to do what they see to be the right thing. So, you know, inflation remains stubbornly high. Um, and in spite of very aggressive and, and sort of ahead of the curve moves, um, looks as though we, there's more to come. So mm. I think um, people are very anxious about the South African economy and the outlook for a lot of it, local economy stocks. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you're always going to have big volume in NASPAS and Process and, and Richmond. And the arbitrages will keep that volume ticking. But in the broader uh, market, in the smaller top 40 and in the, you know, the mid-cap, small-caps, there's really very, very, very little activity. And, you know, uh, it's a great time if you're a bargain hunter, but uh, mm. you've really got to have nerves of steel. Yeah. Uh, Derek, is the volume that great, though, in NASPAS and Process? And there's a question on NASPAS and Process. Um, so maybe I, I, uh, let me get to the question, and then we can talk about whether or not the volumes are also starting to dissipate there. Um, and the question on, on, on the two is, uh, with China imposing fines uh, on tech giants Ant Group and Tencent, uh, signaling an end to a crackdown on the sector, Alibaba was up. And actually, this question came in late on Friday evening. So um, would NASPAS or Process share prices also surge on this new? And if so, which would be the better option to buy? So maybe we look at that question first. Yeah, yeah so I think if you just look at NASPAS and Process, they certainly are <clears throat> going to be quite closely correlated to Tencent. We know that. Um, and we've seen that time and time again. You know, if you see a strong day in Tencent overnight, you typically get some follow through in the likes of NASPAS and Process. Remember, Process is also listed overseas and there's ADRs of the like, NASPAS and Process. Um, so very liquid counters and <clears throat> certainly very closely correlated to China Tech. Uh, any moves in Tencent, any positivity on that side, and you certainly see um, NASPAS and Process tend to catch a bit of a bid, and that obviously lifts our JSE just given the weight and the constituent that they have towards the top 40. Mm. Um, yeah, I think just broadly speaking, I think uh, – coming to an end of, let's call it that China crackdown. It does look quite interesting at the moment. Um, you saw Alibaba's uh, share price surge quite sharply on the back of that negative news in terms of that fine imposed last week. Um, <clears throat> so I think, you know, just kind of zooming out a little bit and then looking forward six to 12 months, 
There certainly is some cheap stocks in China at the moment. Uh, you know, Alibaba, Tencent or the like, some of the tech players that side, whether it's a Baidu uh, or even a Neo for that matter, which is a little bit more of a growth story. But um, I think China in general is starting to so- show some signs of light. And hopefully that filters through into the JAC where we do start to see an upliftment in the likes of Process and Naspers. Uh, as well as our commodity space, which has been hammered or black. Yeah. Just, um, sorry, Derek, sticking with you before I ask Graham, which would you buy, NASPAS or Process, if you had to pick? Um, you know, I would probably go for, for NASPAS if you just look at the discount to NAB. And it's simply a fundamental call as opposed to a, um, you know, strategic call. I think it is a little bit cheaper if you just look at the sum of the parts calculation. And um, obviously, the, the recent news that they're going to continue with their share buy, buyback could actually close this discount a little bit more. So it will follow Tencent quite closely. But if I had to choose at this point, probably Naspers. Okay. Um, Graham, I suppose there's a certain irony in Derek talking about the bad news of the fine. <laughs> it prompted a, a rally in Alibaba's share price. Um, but as the assumption being that it draws a line under all the regulatory interference of the last couple of years, for you, does it? And does it signal a new, a better era for tech companies in China? Um, I think the, the short answer is yes. I think, um, you know, a lot of people think that you know, China is cheap labor, manufacturer widgets, and, uh, you know, the, the industrial hub of the world. A lot of that has been moved to other places in the world. And I think China's future lies in, in technology, in, 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 in a variety of technologies. And in order for those to thrive, you know, you've got to take your foot off the throat of the, of the tech sector. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's, a, you know, effectively, a, you know, a, a, an Alibaba kind of marketplace or a Tencent, which is traditionally more of a gamer, they're all converging. And I think it's important for, for China and for that sort of next uh, phase in their growth for them to, you know, to liberate these technology companies. So I would agree with, with Derek. I think, um, I think the tech sector has been under pressure, courtesy of the ramp up, you know, the prosperity for all. And obviously what, uh, you know, what needed to happen in order for, for the third term. But that's now, I think, in large part behind us. So I, I would agree. Um, and I think a company like Tencent, which, you know, often we think it's a messaging business and a gaming business, but it's got so many other parts to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And I would agree with, with Derek. I think if you want to play that, that nice pass, you know, call option on, on, on Tencent or the Chinese tech sector, then NASPAS gives you the cheapest uh, of those those entry points. But in terms of China generally, you could actually see uh, the rest of the world is grappling with inflation. China is now uh, in a brush with deflation, consumer deflation. Yeah. Prices were flat mm. in, in June and that the, the stats came out today. Um, the, the consumer price index is basically down 0.2% from the previous month. Derek, does that... Um, is that going to make the stock market a lot more iffy towards the China story, and which I think has been quite iffy anyway the last couple of years? Uh, but is this is this a bit of a problem, and not just for the tech shares? I mean, for for the luxury goods companies, for automakers, and for resources companies. So I, I think the news is news that we don't that that we know already, if that makes sense. So. Obviously, the data print that we're seeing is very soft. Um, 
But just bear in mind that there certainly is a very low base that's baked into China at the moment. If you just go back to last year's October lows that we saw in the markets generally, that's really where we started to see the run uh, in that Chinese market. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, Tencent was below 200 Hong Kong dollars a share. And today, sort of, I'm, I'm not sure exactly the price, but I think sitting at about 325 odd uh, Hong Kong dollars a share. So, so a big pickup has already taken place since October lows. It peaked at around $400. It's come back a little bit. Um, so, so to answer your your sort of comment there, I think it's not news that we know already, and I think it's been priced into the market. Again, if you zoom out and you look at what led us into this sort of very difficult 2023 from a global market perspective, China actually led us into it, you know. Um, mm. They were the ones that led the decline in markets. And I think they are the ones that are probably going to lead us out of the very sort of bearish environment that we've been through, which we've started to see happen in October. And we've seen a bit of follow through in the AI stocks in on the NASDAQ and in the US and some of the tech stocks there with lots of cash on balance sheet. So I'm a little bit more bullish as opposed to pessimistic about China. I think a lot of bad news is in these prices. And fundamentally, the shares are looking cheap. It's just a kind of uh, pay attention to those fundamentals, buy good quality stocks, and just be patient and let that re-rating take place over the next 12 to 18, perhaps 24 months. Graham, what's your view? Do you have a different view? Uh, I mean, you know, and it, it could encompass resources stocks, which have been really kind of beaten up uh, for a while now. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe for context, if I may, if you look at over five years, if you take the CSI 300, as I look at it, over five years in total, it's, it's up 11%. Over three years, it's down 19%. On a one-year view, still down 13%. So, um, you know, I think there is still a, a degree of anxiety around. Um, if you can contrast that, and obviously these returns are in, in rands, if you contrast it, you know, the, the resources index in South Africa is up 50%. So, so clearly the, the SA commodity stocks have significantly outperformed the China story. But I think to, to, to take uh, Derek's point a, a step further, you know, you don't have to just look at, at Tencent or Alibaba or, or Baidu. You can actually say, well, you know, there's some great brewers out there. I mean, maybe we've got a few question marks over the banking sector. But, you know, we must remember a company like ICBC, I think the free float is something like 5%. The bulk of it sits in the hands of the Chinese government. And they have, you know, they're, they're the lender of last resort and the investor of last resort. So there's a, a much bigger game here. So I would say that um, I would agree. I think the world, if you take a five-year view, the world desperately needs the Chinese growth engine to restart. Um, obviously, the hard lockdowns um, have made some of the, the data points look a bit iffy and um, you know, people may be a little bit worried about the stalling, you know, when I say stalling, I'm talking about an, an economy that almost reaches stall speed. But if if China doesn't kick into gear, the world from a growth point of view is in, in deep trouble, mm. I would argue on a three to five year view. So, you know, um, it's almost a case of it's looking, I would agree, it's looking cheap. And um, I think a lot of pain has been taken and a lot of reforms still need to, probably to happen. But I would argue, you know, you can probably you know, just go and buy a CSI 300 if you buy the China store. You don't have to just be focused on tech as the new driver of, of Chinese economic growth. Okay. And then following on with commodities, there's a question on Kumba. Uh, the viewer says Kumba's retreated close to 47% from its September 22 high, which was 802 Rand, which today is 423 Rand. Does your panel see value at the current price or should I wait for a lower entry point? 
Uh, Derek, before the break. I think all, the, all these locally listed resource stocks have taken a bit of a hammering over the last month. Um, more than that, they've kind of uh, moved out of favor. And I think it's also very much macroeconomic induced where interest rates are going to stay high for, for longer than we expect. And we could anticipate or we do anticipate some further rate hikes from, from a Fed perspective. That doesn't play into the hand of global growth very much so. So, um, again, talking to that China theme, uh, talking to a little bit of a turn in the interest rate cycle, I'm starting to get a little bit more bullish on commodities than I have been over the last couple of years. Um, so to answer the question, I think Kumba looks cheap. Uh, look, and, and remember, there's some low bases that have been backed in. If you just look at the last numbers due to uh, getting commodities out of Richards Bay, due to load shedding issues that obviously hampered production. I think just kind of looking forward to the next six months, the companies are actually quite well position, positioned to produce more. Um, yes, commodity prices are a little bit lower, but they're still these companies are still very profitable and we're sitting on a very weak rand at the moment. So I anticipate a bit of a beat in earnings looking forward. A company like Pumba quite comfortably could sit on an 11, 12, even a 13% yield. I think it's going to pay you to own it, expect a little bit of volatility, but I certainly do think it's a good entry point at these levels. For you, is it good enough considering, I mean, do you think it's going to, if we talk about where it has been, the high being over 800 rand, it's halved. Uh, could you see it falling further or do you think it's at its lows um, in this cycle? Yeah, nobody phones you and so it says, you know, today was the low buy at 423.77. So, um, let, let, me, let me maybe answer it as best I can. If, if I look back 10 years, uh, the iron ore price today uh, is slightly lower than it was 10 years ago. And the Kumba iron ore share price is up from 300 to 423. So um, obviously there's been some rand weakness in between, but you know the challenges at, at Transnet and others have meant they haven't been able to ship quite as much as maybe they, they could have yeah, had everything worked. So mm. I think for me, the if you, if you and, and, and if I can just, Park Kumba for a second, I will answer it. But if you look at Anglo's, BHP, Billiton, Amplats, you know, negative earnings growth in the commodity stock. So the question is, what is the right multiple to pay for those counters? And then the question is, what does global growth look like? What does demand for iron ore look like uh, in China for the next three years? And I think Derek and I will both agree, while it might be solid, you know, it's probably going to be erratic. So I think that's the, that's the difficulty. I think Kumba looks very cheap, both from a PE point of view and a dividend yield point of view, but pretty much what they generate is just going to flow straight through. So um, I think coming back to the argument, if you're a, if you're a, a China bull, um, but remembering they consume circa 60% of global demand for iron ore, then you know it's probably a worthwhile bet. But my sense is that um, I think the world is, is sort of getting its head around the fact that maybe growth is going to disappoint uh, a little bit. So... I think you might get an opportunity to buy them cheaper. The question, though, is do you really want to buy a single commodity stock or would you rather go and buy yourself a BHP Billiton who produces iron ore in Western Australia under $20 a ton? So yeah. I think that, for me, is, is the bigger debate. But I think I would agree with, with Derek, just on, uh, you know, on, on, on sort of basic fundamentals, it looks very cheap, and the dividend yields, I think, compensates you for quite a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, two-, three-year volatility.
Can I ask both of you, and this is sort of veering off um, uh, any particular share, and uh, while we wait for questions on shares, so please do send those to us. It's quite a, a quiet night and I suppose a bit of a subdued mood, um, as we mentioned at the start of the show. But is it the case that maybe we should actually strip out the years, say February 2020 to 2022, as any exemplary years in the stock market, given just the weirdness of conditions experienced by the global economy, because you had COVID, you had, you know, you had the incredible plunge in stock markets and the incredible rally, just the absolute disruptions to supply chains. So if you're looking at those years and saying and setting any sort of benchmark for yourself from what happened in, okay, in, in a two and a half year period, would that be the wrong thing to do? You know, so for example, this viewer looking at Kumba saying the high was 800 odd bucks in August, 20, uh, August, September 2022. Should it have actually got there ever at all? Or were all the conditions precedent just, it was a crazy time and you shouldn't look at that and say, well, it got to that once, it could get there again. Derek, I mean, am I barking up the wrong tree entirely here? Or do you think, you know, one should be circumspect about any of the share prices attained or fallen to in, in this period? I think it's a valid point. I think what we went through during that 2020 period is certainly, let's call it a black swan event. I mean, the world shut down, economy shut down, um, everyone was in lockdown, commodity prices fell off a cliff, there was no demand, and obviously that all bounced back very quickly, but that was on the back of a very low interest rate environment. I think the one thing to remember about any mining company out there is that there's a lot of uh, cost element to it in that you know, making sure smelters are looked after, making sure mining equipment is looked after, making sure your mines in general are, are looked after comes at a cost. And let's call, call it care and maintenance. So, you know, through that period where you do go through a shutdown, it's a perfect opportunity to actually start rejigging some of your equipment and making sure that mines are running at optimum efficiency. So that, that's a general theme that takes place every so often or through the course of a three-year cycle. So it was a great time for them to actually... Um, you know, rejig their cost structures, make sure that the mines were operating optimally. And they obviously capitalized on the back of a low interest rate environment and then this huge demand coming through. But very, very lumpy in terms of data points and prints, commodity prices, what actually played out. So I would argue, yes, you can strip it out um, and rather look at a sort of 20, 25 year view as to what, uh, you know, the cycles in commodities tend to do. Um, but generally, remember, this is a very high risk space when you talk about equity. So they are going to be volatile and it all pivots on the back of macroeconomic growth. At the moment, we're not there yet. We've seen a big demise over the course of, uh, of 2022 and we're starting to pick up out of it at the moment. So really what it is, it's a positioning, uh, in positioning and investment looking forward for the next two to three years as we hopefully start to see a peak in that interest rate cycle. Yeah. Graham, um, are we, uh, should we um, restrict ourselves just to commodity shares or to shares in general? Do you think commodities really were the brunt of kind of excessive moves of the last few years, two years? Well, I mean, if, if I look um, at, at some of the most erratic earnings actually out of a company like Richmond, for example. <laughs> um, so if, if, I think, Julietta, you've actually, you, you, you've, you've taken investing and I think you've, You've, you've put your finger on, on, the, on, on the nub of the, 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 the issue. And that is that markets get 
get irrationally exuberant. So, for example, in 2021, in the December 21 year, uh, Kumba Iron Ore delivered 103 worth of earnings per share. Yeah, that came down the next year to 56. So everybody said, well, Raki, if we put it on an eight multiple, you can put it on eight at 800 rand. But if you, I think what you you said is so brilliant and so powerful. If you if you said right, let's let's just take this this annual data, the annual earnings and dividends, dump it into an Excel spreadsheet, take ten years of data, one or two years worth of forecasts, and then you plot a trend line and you sort of see is that how how steep is that slope, and you take those anomaly periods out. Of course, what we're saying here is ironically twenty and twenty one were good years for them because of supply constraints and and logistics, but. I think what you're saying is exactly right. So all businesses have an element, or 99% of businesses have an element of cyclicality to them. But things like commodity and luxury goods might be a little bit more cyclical than others. But I think what you're saying is exactly right. That, that the first thing is to say, well, what do I think that the sustainable earnings is out of a business like Kumba Iron Ore? Considering all the moving parts around China and, mm. and new supply and stuff like that. And let's say we conclude that it's, it's, it's 45 rand a share of earnings. And we say, right, that's probably, you know, on average going to give you 5%, 10% earnings growth. What are we prepared to pay for that from a, a ratings point of view, a multiple? And you say, well, let's just make the math easy. And we say we're prepared to pay a 10. I don't think that's right. But that gives you a target price of 450. Am I making sense? Yeah. But that okay. then eliminates those 800 rands and those 200 rands because okay, you're saying – you know, this business is still fundamentally sound. And it's true for, for most businesses. It's just a little bit trickier in the case of most commodities. Okay. But ironically, Pumba's earnings are a little bit less volatile than some of the other single commodity players. Partly because of the quality of the, the, the lump iron ore they sell, which is quite sort of high quality, as far as I understand. Um, well, um, it's nice to feel that you think I'm, I'm right. Um, I might uh, uh, keep this um, show and just play it on a loop in the, the, so the family can agree with me, you know, when they disagree <laughs> on everything else. Um, so I'm going to get to your stock fix tonight um, in the absence of more questions. Derek, what, what would you be buying in a, in a tricky South African economy and a subdued market? Okay, well, all this talk around Kumba is getting me excited. So I think my <laughs> stock pick tonight is, is going to be Kumba. Um, I think what we've got to do is you, you actually got to detach from all the detail in my mind that we've spoken about right now. Yes, the fundamentals and yes, the cost structures. Let's just watch this iron ore price at call it $110 at the moment. I personally think that it is quite low and I do think that we're slowly going to start to see a bit of a tick up, China reopening, macroeconomic fundamentals start to play in your favor. And every 10 or $20 uptick in the iron ore price is going to have a leveraged effect to earnings, given the fact that they make money on iron ore, let's say, at an average price of $35 a ton. So there's going to be certainly be uh, a leveraged effect in earnings as that iron ore price. So really, my stock pick tonight is Kumba on the back of the anticipation of a higher, higher iron ore price and a bit of a leveraged effect to earnings looking 12 to 18 months forward. Okay. Graham, how about you? Well, I'm going for something completely different, um, and that is City Lodge. Um, hmm. You know, it used to be a darling of the market, and then they had to do a recap, and COVID hit, and it was like the perfect storm of, of how, you know, what not to be invested in. Uh, but if you look at the most recent updates, um, they're back at pre-COVID levels. Um, they've obviously shared some assets in the process in terms of the African operations. 
but increasingly you're getting the feeling that they're getting their arms around the the beverage and the and the the food business um so I think it's a really good business, like so many South African companies. You know, while we're all obsessed with Anglos and BHP and Naspers and Richmond, you know, there's this, this, this sort of South Africa ink market that nobody wants to touch. Um, I think there's a lot of value in a company like City Lodge, I think, is, is there. I think it's well-run, well-positioned. They're talking about very, very strong, you know, inbound tourism and domestic travel starting to pick up. So I think a business like that is not going to, make you rich overnight, but I think you've got an underpin in the asset value in those hotel rooms that um, that that are, are considerably higher than the current share price. So, yeah, I think City Lodge um, is, is a good one. It's an unloved South African stock, and like many, I think will reward you if you're just patient. Yeah. Well, if my experience of inbound tourism was anything to go by, the flights were overbooked. Uh, so there is definitely um, overseas demand for, for South African tourism. Long may it continue. Graham, Derek, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us this chilly evening. Uh, Graham Kerner is from Kerner Perspective. Derek Gunsoff and Rensburg is from Anchor. And we will be back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Do stay with us. <laughs>